Hey, welcome to Frontlines, a bi-weekly exponential program that seeks to encourage and equip pastors and church planners to, to really better understand and navigate the current and future trends uh, in church ministry. Uh, my name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Send Institute, co-host of Frontlines, along with the church planting ninja himself, Peyton Jones. Uh, hey, Peyton, did you catch any of the inauguration today? And then what are some of the thoughts that came to mind? You know, I did not. However, um, as a dad to two uh, little ladies of color, um, let me tell you, it is a celebration in our house that not only is there a woman now that will hold an important position in the White House, this dad of two daughters, right? You dream for your kids, but also... Uh, just the momentous nature. Uh, one of my daughters is part Asian and part um, African, and the other one's just part African. So on two levels, we're celebrating that in my household. It, 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 it feels important and special to us. Um, it is, it, it's like when Obama got in. It's just one of those historic things. You know, all of your politics, I know like we're a, we're a divided nation, to us, it, it, it's it's just one of those things that's like, man, we got to celebrate this. This is important, and it it for all the things that seem to be going wrong in the country at the moment. I mean, we're a nation in pain. We need to take just stop and and celebrate. That's a kingdom thing when you see all of the different ethnicities of the world coming together. And I love that about America. I feel that that embodies God's heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, politics aside, like. There is Lady Gaga singing the national anthem, um, Jennifer Lopez, and then Garth Brooks, uh, who did Amazing Grace. Wow. And I was shocked. There was a tear that came came to my eye when Garth Brooks led us in Amazing Grace. <laughs> That's rad. <laughs> but uh, so much of that was, I think, uh, processing, you know, how difficult 2020 has been, you know. Um, it was a tough year politically, um, the theological conflict and tension that that has happened uh, across not just denominations but across different academic institutions, the racial tensions, um, man, these are layers upon layer of tensions that uh, pastors and leaders had to deal with. And I think you know, for me, as I was watching the inauguration, I think there was a bit of a culmination in realizing that there's still some lament that needs to happen. Uh, a lot of repentance, uh, but also a hopeful way forward, not because of who's in office, uh, but because like the church has a mission and the, ch the mission is always moved forward. And we can stay true to our mission without um, creating any kind of like political, you know, uh, enemies. Uh, and I think that's when the church has shined them the best. But and that's part of the reason why we want Tim um, uh, Mori as our guest today. I want to jump into our time with him and really honored to have Tim because we're going to talk about like that wear and tear that happens when you're in ministry, but specifically when you're in church planting ministry. And uh, Tim is uh, the pastor and planter of Life Covenant Church there in sunny Torrance, California. Uh, uh, between Tim and Peyton, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see who's planted the most churches, but Tim's planted um, through life uh, five churches in the U.S. and also dozens across Mozambique. He's written several books, uh, but today we're going to be focusing on his latest title that just came out a few months ago, Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. Our, our church planning team is uh, using Tim's book right now. Uh, Tim's also adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary and uh, is on the advisory board for uh, Fuller's church planting program. So, hey, Tim, we're super excited to have you on today. Thanks for coming on. Can you briefly share a little bit about your ministry background and about the church that you're leading right now? Yeah, gosh, guys, thank you so much for having me. I, I love this already. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I am the founding and lead pastor of Life Covenant Church in Torrance, just south of LAX, for those who want more specifics. Uh, we're a 17-year-old church. We, uh, we're a sort of a family-sized church, about 200 people, including our kids. Uh, we're super passionate about church planting, as as you mentioned, Daniel. We've been been blessed to do a good amount of it ourselves. Uh, and then for the last probably 15 years, I've been working with other church planters too. Uh, I served our denomination's national team. I'm with the Evangelical Covenant Church, 
I served with them for a number of years. I was director of our assessment center. I've done a lot of coaching and training. And then for the last uh, probably five, six years, I've been with Fuller. And that's been, been a great joy on so many levels, but has put me in contact with a lot of planters there too. Tim, before we jump into your book, I mean, there's there's a lot there that I'm 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 really interested in digging into, like just you personally, because you're local church pastor. You're, you're you've worked with your denomination regionally, nationally. You're also teaching at Fuller. I mean, there are multiple hats going on there. Like, just I mean, I love just right out right out of the gate. You know, what's what's been the challenge in managing these multiple roles? Because I think a lot of church planters feel similar to. You know, especially if they're bivocational, co-vocational. So, I mean, for you, what's that been like? Uh, well, at, at times overwhelming, um, but but on the whole, it's been it's been good. I'm I'm blessed with a church that from the beginning has understood that my calling was broader than just that church, and so they've been super supportive. In you know, if I picture my calling as a pie chart, probably about 25% of my calling has always been devoted to other pastors. And I I serve a church that's been really supportive of that. Um, And and I think kind of my my paired responsibility with that, I'll say, is uh, remembering kind of what my first calling is in terms of where my best energies go, and that always is to the local church. So that I think that's helped me a lot in just determining in any given season, what can I say yes to, what can I say no to, and or what should I say no to, and um, and making sure that that the church I lead doesn't get my leftovers, and even more importantly, that my family doesn't get my leftovers, that uh, I'm I'm not overdoing it in any one area. You know, some of the that's uh, really good, and I think that a, a lot of people. You know, we, we hear the kind of the mantras going around the books, you know, a lot of the, the deep work, um, essentialism, which are all really good books, um, but we're kind of trying to, to, to find that balance. And I think sometimes in ministry, we hear things about like managing your time, maximizing. We don't hear rest accounted for. We don't hear that balance that, you know, what, what we often need to tell planners is God cares more about you than he does your church plan. I mean, you're, 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 you're like the hair club for men. You're the, you're, you're not just the present, you're a client too. You need what's going on here. And, uh, you know, so with a, with a book like this, I know this is a loaded question because it kind of is answering one of the major uh, questions that people have in general in society through a church planning context. But what are some of the issues and questions that you're addressing in this book? Yeah, well, first, I want to say I love your hair club for men reference, especially given that the three of us have basically the same haircut. Uh, but um, Not the same barber, however. <laughs> no, no, not that. Uh, y- you know, the place that this book flows out of, and I think, I think we'll all relate to this, was my observation through the years working with church planners has been that usually what undermines a church planner isn't a lack of ministry skills. It's an underdeveloped spiritual life. And, and by that, I don't mean necessarily that somebody's deep in sin or what have you. It's just that the work is very demanding. And if we aren't keeping enough spiritual health, the work can outstrip our capacity to do the work well. And then any manner of problems result. So um, consequently, the, the questions that I'm trying to answer in the book and kind of the way I've organized the book is around uh, questions like power. You know, am, am I becoming the kind of person that Jesus can entrust with vulnerable people? Uh, suffering. A- am I becoming the kind of person that can embrace a life that's going to be peppered with difficulty? You know, obscurity, right? 90% of us as pastors are going to lead small and small-ish churches. Can I minister in a very difficult environment and nobody ever notices beyond the walls of my church? Uh, you know, family, am I ministering in a way that brings life to those that are dearest to me? Uh, pace, right? Am I, have I figured out that this church plan thing is a marathon and not a sprint and adjusted my life accordingly? So those are 
those are some of kind of the, the core issues that we're trying to get out in the book. Yeah, you know, I, I, so many of uh, the conversations that I have with church planters have to do with managing um, time, managing um, expectations. And um, I think in some ways, um, church planters are great because either uh, he or she are, they're really good at multitasking or they're, <laughs> they're broadly, they're generalists in some ways. And they're, um, that makes them a good manager, but also a good vision caster. And at some point they feel stretched thin. Um, and Tim, I'm wondering, you know, you know, from the book, but also in the way that you coach church planters and a lot of those that are listening, they're going to, you know, if you got questions, feel free to drop it in there and Brooks will uh, get it over to us. Um, but they're probably at a stage right now where, you know, we're, you know, 10 months into the pandemic. Some of us have postponed our, our launch, you know, date for our churches. Uh, some of our teams are dwindling. Um, it's affecting the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about uh, our calling. Can you speak to some of those really practical things right now, especially this stage into the pandemic? Yeah, boy, my prayers are with those who are right in the middle of the launch, right in the middle of planting during the season. Uh, it's so challenging on so many levels. Uh, you know, I think one word that I would speak to the planters that are in that place is just make sure that you are deeply investing in your relationship with God. Uh, Self-care is not selfish. It is actually good stewardship. It's, it's stewarding the only gift that God has given us to give to others, and that's ourselves, uh, empowered by his Holy Spirit. And so um, I would say in the in any heightened season like this, where the temptation is just to try harder, run faster, grind away at it. I mean, sure, there's going to be some of that, but don't give in to the temptation to do that in a way that's that's going to be unhealthy. Take your Sabbaths, spend robust time in prayer in the scriptures, uh, pay attention to your body, diet and exercise and sleep, listen to your mentors, uh, invite their feedback. Uh, in a season like this, a lot of it is about just just coming through it healthy on the other side. And there's going to be time on the other side to do a lot of what feels so pressing right now. But if um, if we don't come through it healthy, we're not going to be any good to anybody. That's really good. And I think, you know, Daniel and I talked about this two weeks ago, that the leaders have been given a unique opportunity mm-hmm. to maybe press into prayer and contemplation and solitude a little bit, which is something that when when it's all go, 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 um, they complain about not having. And, and now I think there's a weird pressure to perform because they feel like so many, like even in the secular workplace, I was talking with someone today who said, I'm sitting here doing nothing and I, I, I feel bad about it. I'm getting paid and I don't have any work to do. Everything's dead. And yet I'm still getting paid. And I think a, a, a lot of ministers feel that and a lot of church planners right now are wondering, what in the heck do I do with myself during this? How would you answer somebody who maybe is in that position going, I don't feel like I'm doing enough right now because there's not enough to do. How would you address that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what we've been doing at our church and with our staff is uh, in some ways we're kind of going old school. We've, we've set up almost what looks like a phone tree in our church and we've made kind of a regular schedule among staff and other leadership of what it looks like to check in on people mm. um, and trying to do that in a way that, that kind of honors and empowers like our small group leaders too, where it's not us as pastors doing all the work, but, uh, us kind of being ranchers and looking to the shepherds and saying, okay, let's help you. You're reaching out to others. And, and it's actually in some ways been a really beautiful season uh, seeing the church step up and take care of each other. And, and for me, that, uh, that's been a victory in sort of an Ephesians 4 sort of way, right? Where our job as pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, um, evangelists 
is not to go out and do all the ministry ourselves. Our job is to equip the people to do the ministry. And so in some ways, COVID has forced us to do that better. And, um, and there are days where it, it feels like we're not doing enough, but if, if that creates some space for me to have an hour long conversation with somebody in our church where maybe I wouldn't have had a chance for that before, where it allows me to invest deeper in a leader who's going to invest more deeply in five people. Like that's really time well spent. Yeah. Tim, in one of your chapters of the book, you talk about, you know, being a pastor, but also like just being a person, uh, can you unpack that a little bit more? Um, I think I know, uh, you know, what you're saying about that, but uh, help help us to regain our humanity as church planters. <laughs> mm. Man, well, I tell you, like, well, like the whole book, that was a very autobiographical chapter for me, Daniel. Um, and I, I think I started with a quote from Archibald Hart, and I'm going to get the quote wrong now, but he says something along the lines of, of pastors don't get in trouble because they forget their pastors. They get in trouble because they forget their people. And I think there's a temptation for us as pastors to put ourselves in the place of God, you know, to act as though we're omniscient, you know, and we give an answer even when we should just say, I don't know, right? Or a temptation to act as if we're, uh, we're omnipresent, you know, and even we've, though we've been out three nights this week already doing ministry, we say yes to a fourth because we feel like we have to be present for everybody and kind of on down the line. And that that's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. We are human and as such, we're fallible. Uh, we are dependent on God. We are in these bodies that need to be cared for physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially. Uh, we have to remember that, before we're anything else, we're just people and we have normal human needs and we have to attend to those if we're going to keep ourselves from breaking along the way and becoming ineffective in the, the calling God has given us or at, at worst, even detrimental to those that we're leading. So what, what are some ways that you have felt um, that, that your soul could be enriched. I'm going to turn the question around because it's church planting without losing your soul. Is there a way for a church planter to plant that actually enriches their own soul that actually adds to them? I love that. Um, yes. And, and actually that's kind of the way we frame it at Fuller as we're talking about this is how can I not just survive, but thrive in the midst of the storm. And, uh, and yes, I think if we are, proactively seeking out a healthy life in Jesus. If we are, um, you know, so to speak, if we are filling up the plate from which we're feeding others, then yeah, that's going to lead to more effective ministry. That's a very John 15 kind of paradigm, right? I'm attached to the vine and so there's going to be fruit. But also what it means for us, I think, is greater health, vitality, joy, I mean, you guys have seen this too, I'm sure, but for so many church planners, they'll, they'll have a ministry that's going pretty well, but they've lost their joy. And there's, there's just, you know, there's no happiness left in it. And they're so beat up, they're so tired uh, that often some of, some of those folks, they end up kind of dying a slow death in that way. They're, they're on their way out of ministry or that particular ministry, and they don't know it yet but they've lost that joy. And I think that's part of what we can retain when we are really focusing on being healthy people, healthy pastors, uh, raising healthy families, uh, we can keep the joy. And that, that in and of itself is a huge benefit. Tim, if you were to say like, these are some indicators that maybe church planting is beginning to diminish your soul. Like what are some of the key indicators that you would look at as you're coaching another church planter that maybe some of our listeners can begin examining themselves and saying, you know what, I think I might be losing a bit of myself uh, in this in this venture. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll start with myself and then kind of go out in concentric circles. But uh, for me, I think maybe the two leading indicators are, uh, one is my impatience. Uh, when, when I start getting punchy, 
with, uh, with my wife, with my daughters, when, um, when I start Not getting resentful, punchy, right? We're, we're, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, I yes, I should have, have said when I your denominational leaders if you're physical punchy, but right, we would have bigger problems. That's for sure. Um, I don't know. It works uh, for you, me. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about getting testy, getting short? Um, when I'm becoming irritable uh, with my family, uh, when I'm becoming resentful with my church, you know, when I find myself scolding the sheep instead of feeding the sheep, it's like, okay, something's wrong here. Um, that's, that's one leading indicator for me. A second one uh, is often my sleep. So if, if I find that I'm waking up a lot in the night, uh, usually that means there's, there's an area of anxiety that I haven't fully dealt with yet. And and that's something that I need to, I need to take some solitude and be with God and let him work that out in me. So those are two for me. I know in others too, um, in addition to those ones, uh, for some people it manifests physically, you know, loss of appetite, no desire to, um, you know, to, to move, to get out, to walk. Um, for some, it's, it's an ebbing in their desire to be with God. And that's always a hard thing as a pastor. I think as believers, we naturally go through ebbs and flows in our relationship with God. But, um, but I think it is something to look at. If we're experiencing a lack of desire to be with God, it's, it's good to probe that. What's going on? Is, is there resentment towards God? Am I disappointed in him that this thing isn't going the way that I thought it was going to, or I thought maybe he promised it would, or what have you? Um, so that's... Uh, that's another one as well. And then um, I was going to mention another and I just lost it. Those, those ones are, are, are pretty reliable indicators, I would say, of, of brewing trouble that's going on in us. Well, I'm going to ask a follow-up question to that. But before we do, um, we're here again with Tim Morey, if you're just joining us. He is a pastor, planner, and adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary. Um, but if, if you want to ask questions of Tim, drop them in the chat and uh, Daniel and I will throw them at Tim as, as if we're pitching a, a baseball game. No softballs. Hit, hit him with the hard stuff. This is, this is good stuff. How to plant a church without losing your soul or planting a church without losing your soul. Um, that sounded more clickbaity the way I said it. You know, what happened next? Nobody expected on Sunday. But anyways, as we're talking through uh, all of these things, so you, you mentioned the indicators, kind of like the warning lights of a car. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember in the early days driving a car as a teenager, you know, um, when the car overheated, you know, people said pee in the radiator, which is a bad thing to do, by the way. Um, don't do that. But, you know, a, a lot of times people don't know what to do when the car overheats or when the indicator lights go on. What are some things that when you find a church planner in an emergency situation, um, they're not doing good, what do you counsel them in a triage situation? How do you help them manage the breakdown? What should they do? Yeah. Well, I think uh, the first step, if, if I'm talking to them, usually they've already taken, but I think that first step is you got to call somebody. Uh, you need to call a wiser, older pastor, you need to call your coach, you need to call your superintendent or bishop. But if you find yourself in that space, most of us being the prideful creatures that we are, want to muscle it out ourselves and tell people afterwards how horrible it was. And now I got through it and I'm okay. That's a mistake. You, in the middle of it, you got to call somebody. This, uh, this isn't something that we can or should manage alone. We need people around us to pray for us, to give us wise counsel, because chances are we're not seeing clearly, and uh, just for general support. So that's number one. Uh, two is I try to guide people back towards sort of core practices. So uh, what are the spiritual disciplines that you find life-giving? Where are the places where you meet Jesus? And, and to steer them back into those. And it's hard because uh, by definition, if you are in a place where you feel like you're drowning, 
you feel like you don't have time for those things. And so our natural inclination is just to, to go faster, to work harder, to push, uh, push further. And um, kind of like, I know one piece of counsel they give to somebody who's drowning is stop thrashing around and try to float, right? It's super counterintuitive, <clears throat> but it's similar to a church planner. Stop all the thrashing around. You're not going to fix the problem by just thrashing harder. Let's focus on you getting better, you getting healthy. And, um, and then a third I would raise, uh, I, would, uh, I would add to that is, um, uh, is seeking some good peer support. Uh, you do need that, that wiser person who's maybe they're in a position of authority or a, a, a mentor position. But also, if, if you don't already have it, getting some people around you who understand something about your life. You know, the friends you have in the congregation are super important. You, I mean, you have to have those. I would not be here if I didn't have friends in my church. But I also wouldn't be here if I didn't have some deep relationships with other pastors who I can say the things to that I can't always say to friends in my church because I'd be throwing somebody under the bus or, um, you know, whatever the case might be. You got to have both. So that's one of the things that I'm always urging for folks to and they find they're in trouble. I mean, I hear you saying, Tim, something so important, like the one of the ways that you don't lose your soul in the midst of planting and in ministry is you you do a lot of soul searching. I mean, you really have to continuously ask those base questions of identity and calling. Because uh, uh, I think in some ways, those are the, you, you, you know, you talked about core practices, but then there are those core uh, beliefs about yourself and about who you are and about the ministry that God's called you to that it's almost like every time of crisis that rolls around uh, in the planting process, it solidify those those core things. And I, I, you know, I'll throw this question back to you, uh, but I want to you know, hear from Peyton as well, because both of you are, are church planting uh, vets. Um, but you know, for me, when I was uh, planting in Toronto, uh, urban downtown, I was an American going into a Canadian context, you know, which was a little bit deceiving because Canada is English speaking, at least the parts that we were in. Um, and, but yet it was a different country. And I, you know, I had, uh, spent my first 10 years in, in, as an adult in, as an engineer, as a cons consultant. So I went into church planting thinking an hour's worth of work should yield an hour's worth of result, you know, and because that's how we build. I'd build somebody 150 bucks and, uh, and I'd give them $150 worth of work. And I was thinking that's how ministry works. And, and boy, it was, it was devastating to me. Five months into the process, and I, you know, I share some low points to try to connect with some of our listeners, but I, I got to this point where uh, I was having anxiety attacks and I didn't even know what they were. Like I couldn't, like I thought it was a heart attack and uh, went into the emergency room in one of those moments. And the doctor uh, said, you know, I'm not going to say that it was an anxiety attack, but it sounds like you have an anxiety attack, which is very Canadian of the doctor to, to say that. Um, and so I had to really, you know, do what you said, Tim. I had to seek out the um, wisdom of uh, more seasoned leaders to, number one, know that, hey, this is okay. Like, I, you know, this is not, this is um, a, a warning sign, but it's not panic mode. And then his name is Bert Thomas, and um, Bert leads a church still in downtown Toronto there and, um, uh, you know, just faithful, faithful leader. He said to me, he said, Daniel, you're going to stop managing your time. You have to begin managing your energy. And boy, man, that was like, that changed, you know, the paradigm for me as a consultant where I was packing out my schedule and that made me feel good to see that I had a packed out schedule to begin thinking about scheduling my actual calendar around things that gave me energy now, I wasn't just like, you know, um, out and about, uh, you know, lifting, you know, going to the gym and stuff like that all the time. But it was really things that, you know, a lot of reading. Uh, I'm a futurist, so just a lot of thinking and had to give myself permission uh, at that stage in planting that that was OK. And I'm, I'm curious from the both of you, um, as you had to discover those things about yourself, like what was it that you learned um, about yourself about resiliency, about how to do life, about camaraderie. What are some of those lessons learned that you've learned when you've come out of a hard time? 
Peyton, I'll go to you. I know you're the co-host, but man, you've got stories though. Gosh. Um, I think when, when I go back, so, so the, the major, um, uh, my mind goes towards some of the, um, the pitfalls and things that, that I've hit over the years. Um, I have, okay, let me, let me say it this way. Um, I don't know if this is going to answer the question or not. Even though we're talking about not losing our soul, there's, there's that crucifixion process, that dark night that happens. And I, I, I hesitate to say this with Tim. I'm sure Tim agrees, but Tim, you're, you're free to push back on this. Um, I look at church planning as the, there's always to me some kind of breaking process. And I don't mean a breakdown of my health mentally. I don't mean a breakdown of my body through a nervous breakdown, but there's going to be a surrender at some point along the way. So I think church planning is a type of crucifixion, but in a good way, there's also a resurrection and God is with you. This is, this is part of his pathway for you. But like I said, I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that this is a way in which God, um, wrecks you and destroys you and, you know, blows your family up. These things are part of the surrender process. And so whenever it, it comes to church planning, I always think of it like this. Um, I am going to be stretched because w- whenever I get to a point where I don't feel like I'm depending on God anymore, I start the church plant and I get complete, like God will take me into a new context And I will not be able to follow um, anything or grab onto any support that I had before other than him. That may sound really, um, really hyper-spiritual, but my support just stripped every time. God goes, hey, whatever got you here isn't going to get you there. You need me again. So I have this old Jacob experience wrestling with the angel. Maybe that's just me, but to me, that's the core of everything. That's the engine where I come to is I always feel there's a stripping down, a crucifixion, a dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, that happens. And all of the other things that are the outward workings are, are kind of vehicles that that arrives in. Does that make sense? So the scenery changes, but the scene repeats, if that makes sense. The actor's the same, you know, there's going to be a climax, there's going to, but there's always going to be this kind of surrender to God at some point that's going to be um, there's a breakthrough after that, if that makes sense. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Like I said, I don't know if it answers the question, but well, I mean, and it, 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 I mean, I, I tell church planters all the time, I, I said, you know, do this for 10 years and you realize that this is really just about your own discipleship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. Tim, what about your thoughts? Yeah, well, Peyton, I agree with everything you said there. I think, um, you know, in, in our church planner training in the covenant, the first thing that people hear out of our mouths is you will be broken. This is a breaking experience. And and that isn't all bad. Uh, like you're saying, there's an element here of of 2 Corinthians 12, of, of Paul recognizing uh, that it's in my weakness that Christ is strong. And, and that's part of the grace. I think the, um, the task for us inside of that is to learn to rely on Christ and not to be broken in a sense that's injurious, in a sense that's, that's permanent, um, that uh, either for ourselves or that brings harm to those that we're leading too. Um, in terms of, uh, Daniel, just to comment on a couple of things you said, you know, I, I love that engineering mindset. I'm not an engineer. I think I kind of have that too of going, okay, I put in X amount of work. I should see X amount of results. Uh, my dad said something to me when I was first becoming a pastor and um, my dad's a carpenter. And, and he said, I could never do what you do. And I thought he was going to say, you know, because congregants and they beat you up over time or this or that or whatnot. But it, it was, it was really simple and really profound. He said, he said, I go to work in the morning and I work and I come home at night and I can show you exactly what I've accomplished. 
and I sleep well because of that. He says, for you, you are going to go to work in the morning and you will not see the results for weeks, months, years, and sometimes not until you get to heaven. And that was a really pivotal word for me, I think, in terms of softening and chastening my expectations. And I, I think, man, if we as church planners are able to do that, to have that mindset that we're not always going to see instant results, sometimes we won't see any results, uh, that that's not the measure of our success. The measure of our success is faithfulness. Have I figured out what God is calling me to do and gone and done that thing? And the results, that's on God. Um, yeah. and, and so that, that, I think, is a really, really important piece for us, just in terms of mindset and health inside of that. And then just to comment briefly, too, on, on what that mentor told you about energy levels. Uh, that's a word that I, I heard two years ago, a wonderful book that Wayne Cordero wrote called Leading on Empty after his experience with burnout. He talked about energy levels, and I had never thought about that. But that has become part of my practice through the years, too, where I, I do now arrange my day around, uh, around knowing I have a limited number of bursts of energy. Mm-hmm. And I've got to make sure that some of that is going to my personal time with God. Some of that is going to my family. Um, some of that, for me, it, it's for both physical and emotional reasons, needs to go into exercise. And then kind of after that, okay, how do I take these remaining pieces and arrange those such that I'm, I'm doing the best work I can in what God has called me to do? You know, it's, uh, there's a book that talks very similarly about what you mentioned about, you know, uh, was it your father-in-law who said, I couldn't do what you do? Your dad, um, yeah. Your dad. And there's a book about a guy who worked in um, white collar IT uh, doing something like that, where, you know, a lot of jobs are like that, not just ministry. And the book is called uh, Shop Class as Soulcraft. And he goes and works on motorcycles and he comes out of it. And he decides to folded everything up, took early retirement and started working on motorcycles, which is what I always want to do. And that's actually, he goes deep into the psychology of that, of having something to work on. Now, interestingly enough, in the Victorian period, Charles Spurgeon said something very similar where he not only was he a, a, a sworn believer in taking walks, he said, every pastor needs to have a garden for two reasons that they can do something with their hands that yields results. And he says, but not only that, as you're physically doing that, he felt like God spoke to him during that time and mentored him personally working in his garden. One little other tidbit was Rick Warren once said that um, if you work with your mind during the day, you need to rest with your hands. If you work with your hands, you need to rest with your mind. And, you know, that guy seems to be pretty switched on. I think he knows a couple of things about managing ministry, but, you know, here's, here's the deal. We've got our first uh, couple questions here, guys. Thanks for dropping those in, but I want to kick into the question that ties directly into this, which is how do you establish a healthy pace and rhythm and continue a healthy pace, pace and rhythm when there's a lot of work to plant the church and establish relationships and trust? How do you help your body slash key leaders understand the need for those boundaries? And great question. Yeah. So uh, a couple of thoughts. One is you have to establish healthy patterns before you're at a place where you feel like you can establish healthy patterns. And what I mean by that is it's, it's kind of analogous to like what they say about having children. You know, you can't wait until you're ready to have children, to have children, or you'll never, you never get there. You're never prepared financially, emotionally, maturity wise, anything. Um, you, you've got to learn it as you do it. And with church planning too, um, yes, there are going to be seasons. And like during launch is a great example of a season where, yeah, you're going to be working a silly number of hours, but you have to make sure that that is the exception and not the rule. And so, so start at the beginning. And that ties into that second question of your key leaders. So if, 
if you are not modeling for your leaders good healthy boundaries, good healthy soul care, uh, good rhythms of ministry, then then they're not going to have it either. And, and it's going to be a race to see which one of you burns out first, you as the church planner or your key leaders. And either one is is a lose situation, right? I mean, we regard if, if let me put it this way, in our church, if we have a leader burnout, we regard that as a serious failure on our part as, as staff or as senior leadership. Um, it is, it is 100% my job to be walking alongside our leaders in such a way that I, I'm making sure they're taking care of themselves, that they are hearing from me. You are more important than what you do. And, uh, there's several ways that we do that, but one of those is what we model. Are my people seeing me take a Sabbath, right? If they call me on, the, on my Sabbath, am I going to pick up? You know, I need to not pick up that phone, not just for me, but because I'm, I'm trying to teach the church something. Now, I confess, I'll check the voicemail and just make sure it's not an emergency, but uh, they're not getting a call back from me that day, et cetera, et cetera. That's sort of one example, but I think what we model there is key. Uh, and, and maybe one other thing I'll throw in there, and this pertains to our key leaders, uh, a great practice that we were given early on is we make our, our leaders, when somebody is first taking on a, a position of leadership in a given area, one of the things we do is we make them give us their first day off. So just to take kind of a simple example, but say it's somebody's somebody's job is to lead the PowerPoint team on Sunday morning. So that person needs to let us know when their first day off will be. And that does two things. One, it does help communicate to them. You are more important than what you do. And second, it puts them in a position where they have to teach somebody else to do what they do. And so uh, otherwise, how are they going to have that time off? And what that's done for us over time, it's helped create a, a culture in the church of personal health. And it's also been a really good means of equipping leaders. We have a deep bench when it comes to leadership. And so uh, when somebody moves away or they get pregnant or they're sick or they're, you know, for some reason they can't continue in their role, there's almost always somebody uh, right behind them who's able to pick up and do what they were doing. So we don't experience a lot of gaps in terms of our functionality. Yeah, I love that because you're not just teaching um, health, but you're also teaching health in the midst of multiplication or you're teaching, you know, multiplication in the midst of health. And I think that um, that's really um, a part of the sustainability and the longevity of the overall ministry. So that's really fantastic insight. Um, we, we, uh, we'll get to this uh, next question, and I want to make sure we end and talk about kind of bigger picture North American church planting. But another really good question is, Tim, um, you know, church planters, we have blind spots and we don't always know uh, how to work through them or what they are. But if you're in a situation where you're receiving counseling um, and coaching, and I remember Craig Rochelle actually saying one time, he said, you know, there's not one person that you're podcasting that's a pastor and a church planter that, you know, that you admire that hasn't gone through therapy, that hasn't received counseling. And he just kind of put everybody's dirty laundry out there. I guess he knows a lot of people. But a lot of us, when we have received either some level of counseling or maybe even therapy or at least coaching, um, what are some of those issues that we should probably work on with our coach or our counselor to help mitigate burnout and then also to prevent you know becoming resentful in the ministry? Mm -hmm. That's so good. Uh, you know, amen to what what Craig said, and I'll just add to that list, spiritual director. Um, in fact, in, in our tribe, <clears throat> we, uh, we actually require our planters to either be in therapy or in spiritual direction at all times. We tell them, don't wait until you break, just proactively get on this, make this part of your rule of life. Your spiritual discipline is have a spiritual director, have, have a therapist. We actually pay for it. Um, we're, we're quite serious about it. Uh, you know, I, I would add this. When we discover a blind spot, uh, I think there's, there's two things 
that it's pretty important that we deal with that. Uh, one is if you don't already engage in the practice of solitude and meditation on scripture, I think that's one of the essential spiritual disciplines for a church planner or a pastor. Uh, but you've, you've got to go there and drag that blind spot into that space, take extended times in the presence of God in the scriptures, uh, letting God do his work there. Henry Nouwen called, uh, called solitude the furnace of transformation. And personally, I don't know of any better place for us to work out our junk than to be in the regular ongoing practice of that. I, I in my own practice, um, I take a half day of solitude once a month. And that's a key discipline for us. And that's, that's where a lot of my blind spots get uh, A, discovered and B, worked out. And, uh, and then the second is take it to your spiritual director. And I, I distinguish that from a coach. I think, I think every church planner should have a coach. It's a really important relationship. But to have a director or a, a, a wise older mentor, a therapist, you've got to process it with another person too. And so have, have that person on call. If it's not part of your regular discipline, at least have them on speed dial and, uh, and be ready to process those blind spots as they come up because they will. Mm, that's so good. You know, anyone who knows me, Tim and Daniel, uh, you know, I got problems. I've been in counseling for, gosh, I've been married. It'll be 24 years this March. So I've been in counseling 25 years because I was a very young next in line mega pastor um, at a church where the pastor in front of me had um, had a moral failure. And the elders are like, look, you can't afford to get this wrong. And I was 23 years old, you know, and in and, and Huntington Beach. And I just remember they said, look, we will pay for every bit of counseling that you and your soon bride to be want. I think when we got in that counseling, I didn't realize how jacked up I was. Oh, I would soon find out when I got married. But it was just something that we continued um, because it was so good for us. Um, it was so healthy. At each point, we had a pastor who, or, or a counselor who was licensed professionally, which is a huge key win, um, a former minister either church planner or pastor. And here, here's a little added bonus here. Um, all of them are slightly charismatic, which they would tell us, hey, we're going to have like 100 people praying for you. And that just kind of worked. Like you could almost feel, wow, something's different. I feel these prayers. Um, but I will, I will tell you, I am a firm believer in church planner. Include that in your budget. Don't not have when you're thinking, oh, you know, I got a budget. Have that in there, you know, because you've got to take care of, of the man or woman first. Whoever that planner is, he, she, it, it, they are more important than the it, right? So um, Spurgeon kicks off, not to mention Spurgeon. I'm not like, you know, trying to riff off Spurgeon, but um, but he, he said, you know, you are your tool in this field. And uh, I feel like a tool, don't get me wrong, but... Uh, but I think the way he meant it was, you know, you've got to look after your own tools and you are the tools. But um, one of the other things that I would say, and it really ties in, Tim, to what you're saying is um, it ties into support systems in general. Often, if you're a planner, you're moving to another city. You maybe don't realize that you've left your friends and family and support systems and familiar surroundings and places of recreation and just all the things that were your go-tos, like I mentioned being stripped of supports earlier, that's part of it. And one of the things that I think is really important is to make sure that you maintain very tightly friendships, relationships, counselor relationships, things outside of your team, because your team sometimes is going to be the problem. Um, or maybe to put it more accurately, you're going to be the problem. You think they're the problem. They think you're the problem, just like our politics in America right now. Both have their perspectives, but often when you think they're the problem, they might think you're the problem, but you need someone else to talk to. And when it comes to blind spots, I think the thing that, that church planners get broadsided by more than anything else, Tim, is, you'll agree with me, I'm sure, is when the people they start planning with bail. And they're like, what in the heck, this guy, I thought we were tight. I thought we were brothers. I thought we were sisters and they're gone. 
you know, and on their way out there, they might have kicked you. You, you, you know, they don't kick, don't kick the pastor on your way out. Don't let the door kick you. No, it, it's, you know, hey, they're going to kick you on the way out and it hurts. And I think those kinds of things really drive home the need for what Tim's saying about having this counseling, having this support, because sometimes what you think is your immediate support ends up to be the thing that follows apart. And, and that can that can be a huge discouraging factor. Man, that's a good word, brother. That I I know pastors who have this thick rhino skin and aren't easily hurt. And <clears throat> I am not that guy. I no, uh, brother. when somebody leaves the church, it just chews me up. And it's it's part of the ministry. It's part of what we are going to experience. And multiple times and we we really need god to do his work in us if we're going to still have joy still be resilient uh still have have a hunger and thirst to get out there and do what god has called us to do when we're enduring those kind of jabs Mm. well i mean tim i mean it leads into another question from the uh from the listeners um yeah if you're a new newer church planter and you're looking for a mentor coach what are some of the approaches, uh, criterias? Um, when do you know it's a good fit uh, with your coach? Man, that's a very good question. Uh, I would, I'd apply the three C's that we kind of generally apply when we're thinking about hiring and even some volunteer positions and that's character, competence and chemistry. So I'd be asking first, is this a man or woman who walks deeply with Jesus? Uh, if, if they're not, then they're not the person that I want speaking in my life in this intimate of a way. Um, competence, you know, what, what's their experience in ministry? What's their experience in church planting? Uh, do they have something to say? And um, ultimately, if I had to choose, and I don't think you do, but I would choose the, the monk over the mechanic, you know, the person who's deeply connected to God or the person who's got a lot of tools for you to use as a church planner. But, but even that said, you know, some competency, what are they going to be able to speak out of what life experience? Um, and then uh, that third piece is kind of mysterious, but that's the chemistry piece. Is this somebody that I can joyfully learn from? Am I teachable to this person? Right. You, you might be generally speaking a teachable person, but I think it's good to ask, am I going to be teachable to this person? Can I, uh, is this somebody that I can come to with my honest junk? And when they say something to me that maybe I don't want to hear, am I going to be able to receive that from them? And so that's that chemistry piece. So that's what I'd be looking for. So, Tim, uh, what do you think? This is a loaded question here. We're going to end with this one. Um, I want to thank all of you for dropping your questions in, but this one's loaded. Uh, But what do you think needs to change about our American church planning culture? This is your time, Tim, to alienate everybody in the audience, make everyone mad, and speak something (laughs) prophetic. (laughs) Sweet. Um, Great. Thank you for that opportunity. (laughs) Just like Sundays during, uh, during a charged political season, right? (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, you know, if I was to choose just one thing, I would say worry less about building a big church and worry more about building big Christians. Uh, I think that that's rad. so many of our problems as church planters and as the church in America have come about as a result of one, some very unrealistic expectations surrounding church growth, but also I think in some ways just getting the question wrong. Um, Thinking that the goal is to build this big dynamic church. Uh, As I read the New Testament, I I see the goal as something different. I hear Paul saying that he is in labor again until Christ is formed in you. And I think that's a wonderfully succinct pastoral job description. Whatever people God gives us, if it's five or 500, it is helping them become the biggest Christians they can be. 
And as they are apprenticed to Jesus, and as the faith is embodied in multiple people in your congregation, you're going to have impact, and you're going to have multiplication. Uh, and maybe, maybe you'll have a big church too, but that's not the goal. The goal is making those big Christians. So that that's my one thing. If I could change that's in our good. culture, it'd be that. And Daniel, I want to hear from you too on this, because I know this is part of the work you do and part of what uh, right now is driving a lot of your research. What do, you, what do you think needs to change about our American church planning culture? Man, um, so much of what Tim said there. I, I, you know, what I add to that is um, I, I think about my own narrative uh, and coming into church planting in the early 2000s, where I think, you know, we, we saw a lot of networks develop then. Church planting was in some ways legitimized in, in ways that maybe it wasn't um, in uh, the decades before. Uh, but I also think that there was a lot of uh, ambition that came about uh, with that human ambition, carnal ambition that came with that. That I, 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 I'd like to say 20 years later that some of that has been, has been stripped away. Um, and so I'm, which I think is encouraging, uh, you know, all that is to say, I think we are normalizing church planting more and more so that it's not something that the, uh, like the Superman or Superwoman has to, to be involved with, that it is something that I think, you know, the, uh, quote unquote lay laity or the person who's co-vocational can be involved with it and to really feel like they're doing something significant. Uh, rather than uh, just being a, um, you know, a, a maverick church planner. I remember when we, that term was used, the first time I heard that was probably maybe 15 years ago, like a maverick church planter. And I just thought how weird that sounded, uh, but that was really the culture of the time when we were looking for the best of the best. And I think as that rhetoric has slowly died down, church planting is becoming more normalized as it's, it's, it's another ministry of the church just like you have children's ministry, just like you have, you know, other different. And I think that's so important. I think that will uh, overall help to lower some of the pressures that church planters feel, especially those who are planting denominationally, that sometimes you can feel like you have to hit benchmarks in order to receive funding or those kinds of things. Uh, and I'm hoping that the narrative of church planting overall is no longer driven by like church decline, uh, but more of, you know, engaging what God is already doing. And I feel like, you know, um, those aren't necessarily two narratives that like compete against each other, but so much of our narrative for church planting has been the church is declining. Let's help it to not, you know, let's help it to grow again. And I feel like, that, yeah, um, we tried that for 40 years. Um, and I, I just, I think God's doing something new right now. And I, I hear it in the younger church planters. Uh, they've adopted new language when they talk about mission. Uh, and that's really encouraging. And I hope we all can push into that. Yeah. Having been in Europe um, as a missionary for about 12 years, that language, that's not the language anymore. That ship already sailed. You know, the church declined. It's 1% where I was um, of the population, 0.3% uh, evangelical. So it was like... Yeah, that it just it was like a fish talking about water, you know. It just it, you didn't notice it. It 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 wasn't the focus. Um, I I would say for me, and it's kind of what I start out my next book, Church Plantology, with um, is church planning versus church starting, right? Um, starting with the gospel and starting with unchurch, doing what Paul did, learning to harness that life and that energy and that focus that Paul had. Rather than church starting, which is putting the cart before the horse, we start with this entity called the church, and we try to get it off the ground, so to speak. And uh, and it doesn't work in the same way. But, um, hey, I want to thank uh, you for uh, coming on, Tim. This has been a fantastic conversation. Daniel, thank you, as usual, for lending us your brains, which uh, I don't know. I don't know Tim's brain capacity, but I'm pretty sure yours is about double, triple mine. So thanks for making this, this show look good, brother. That's what I want to tell you. But in the meantime, you can pick up Tim's book. It's Church Planning Without Losing Your Soul. And uh, it's been a pleasure to pick your brain and hear you walk us through some of your strategies and rhythms. Thanks again, Exponential, for joining us. But before you go, 
I want to tell you a little bit about a way you can help mobilize people in your church and network this spring. You can host an exponential roundtable event for your church, your city, or your tribe. And right now, all you need to do to check that out is to head over to multiplication.org, and you'll have the opportunity to choose from one of nine multiplication topics with a plug-and-play library of resources. So learn more about becoming a host, right? What we're asking you is to host these. Again, it's plug-and-play, super easy, and head on over to multiplication, if I can say it, uh, multiplication.org and check out your way to secure a roundtable. And on behalf of Exponential, I want to thank you again for joining us for Frontlines. And we will see you in two weeks from today, same bat time, same bat station.